Here's the word. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And I want you to know that the asphalt that they're talking about is not the same that we would consider this hard, kind of tough asphalt. It was more of a a gentle, uh, it was kind of like a slime that stuck things together. So as we read that, that's gonna be important soon. So I wanna make sure you catch that. Verse four, and the people said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which was literally God's plan for them. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. In verse six, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do uh, will be withheld from them. Verse seven, come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language and they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there from their over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Last verse, verse nine. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. God, your word's blessed. We need the blessing. So we ask that you would bless us. You'd speak to our hearts, that you would anoint me to preach, anoint your people to receive. And God, may your people be edified. May you be glorified and Satan terrified. And we pray this in Jesus. Lord, unite our hearts together. God, I pray that we would not just tolerate each other, but we'll love each other that as the body of Christ, we will celebrate one another and that we will show the world what it looks like to be in true unity, God. Speak to us tonight, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Jess. I was raised by my grandmother and my grandmother uh, talked a lot. That's where I get it from. And so you learn to zone out on some of the words that she would say. But one thing I knew is that when my grandmother was getting ready to leave, she was about to give us a bunch of rules and say a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of it, I needed to pay attention to the very last thing that she was going to say, because that was probably the most important. If you grew up in a black household, usually the last thing that was said was make sure that you take the meat out of the freezer. Now, oftentimes, because of my ADHD and my lack of desire to pay attention to what she's actually saying, I would miss that. And so a minute before she's coming, I'm hustling, trying to run hot water over frozen chicken because I missed her last instruction. The last instruction is so important because it's usually vital for the next step of what someone wants to do. And so Jesus has his last prayer, one of his last prayers on the earth. And this is his prayer or one of his commitments. He said, Lord, I pray that your people would become one just as you and I are one. When Christ comes back, he is not coming for churches. He's coming for a church. All right, y'all are gonna be quiet on me tonight. I'm gonna have to work a little harder, it's all right. I wear my jogging suit, I've got energy. When Christ comes back, he's not coming for Collide City Church, Redemption Church, your favorite Baptist church. He's coming for the church, which means that we are a body. 
The Bible literally tells us that we are our body. Some of us are toenails, some of us are earlobes, but we're all body parts, right? We all have some part to play within the kingdom to the point where the scriptures tell us we ought not say to one another that we have no need for one another. So we're gonna talk about hyper-independence today. But not just hyper-independence from an individual perspective. We have churches and denominations that are hyper-dependent. We don't work with Pentecostals. We don't work with Baptists. We don't work with Presbyterians. We don't connect with churches in our very city. And we're trying to build the kingdom in and of ourselves. And it's not possible. We have been hardwired for community on every level, whether it's your individual level. You've been hardwired. This is why small group is uh, so important because you can't just get caught up in the large group. You've got to be seen. You've got to let people see you. Talk back to me tonight. But even on a corporate level, it's important that we realize that Collide City Church only has one piece of kingdom building. We don't have the whole piece, which is why we need to partner with other churches, why we need to do community with other churches, because God requires, even in the building up of his kingdom, that there be community, that we be united together. So if you are trying to do your faith on your own, I promise you it ain't working right. Because we're just not wired to do community or do life on our own. I talked about that, this in our training today, but it was St. Augustine who said, it is the Christian God that is in community in and of himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, one God, but a community in and of himself. And if God lives in community, what makes you think you don't have to? Jesus comes to earth, most powerful being that's ever been born of a woman, and he is divinity that's been wrapped in flesh, and he manages to build the kingdom, but he doesn't do it without 12 knuckleheads. He gathers 12 folks, and one of them was Judas, and he knew what Judas was going to do. You keep cutting off your haters. God used them for ministry. Hmm. I say this because I am nervous specifically about the Church of America. This isn't our first time being disunited. And just so you know, I looked up the opposite of united just to try to make sure I was grammatically correct. So I might say disunified, ununified, both are actually correct. Um, this is not the first time the church has been in a place of disunity. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you'll see many of stories where Peter had issues because he was racist. Not only that, Paul got annoyed with a guy named Mark and said, I don't want to do ministry with him. We have always had brokenness. But what concerns me now is that it seems like unity isn't even on the table. Like in the history of the church, I don't know if we've ever gotten to a place where we didn't like each other and had no desire to try. So whether it's the black church against the white church or Republicans and Democrats fighting each other, I am concerned because we have allowed the spirit of the world to enter into the church and we have paused on kingdom building because we don't like who you voted for. Get, slap you myself. We, we have stopped on kingdom building because they hurt me. Here's what Jesus said, forgive them. No, I know this is a hard word, but we need this word because many of us have given ourselves permission to not do life with other people. Many of us have given ourselves permission to not love other people. They don't follow the rules that I think they should follow. They don't live like I think they should live. They're not living up to my standards as if you are God. Baby girl, you don't even live up to your own standards. <sighs> Let me find my next part. Maybe I'll get some amens as we go along. 
It's okay, I'm gonna preach them without the amens. I'm prophetic, and I say this prophetically, I'm concerned because um, we are missing out as a body on opportunities to bring the gospel like we've never seen before. Tragedy should always birth revival. I was in Nepal a few years ago, and some of you will remember the seven-point-something earthquake. I was there for the second earthquake, which is 6.9, and the floor turned into lava and began to move. It was incredibly scary, and we ran outside of the home, and when we ran outside of the home, after everything had settled, us and our missionaries, we just started laughing, and people were all concerned. They were looking at us like we were crazy, and they started coming over to us going, what's so funny? Why are you guys laughing? And we just started talking about the joy of the Lord. And that day we started preaching the gospel and a hundred people, over a hundred people gave their lives to the Lord because I believe if we'll utilize tragedy well, God will always bring revival. But the church has gotten caught up in the tragedy and who's got the answer and who doesn't have the answer. And we've allowed the spirit of the world to get into the church and we're more disunified than even the world is. So no wonder over the last two to three years, at least here in America, and I know some people watch this from all over the world and who are tuning in, and this could be true of your country, but specifically for us, how much kingdom building have we been doing? The church has paused. And we've gotten caught up with the elephant and the donkey instead of the lion and the lamb. And I am concerned. That's why I said earlier, I'm going to teach us how to be disunified, but some of us don't need the lesson. Because some of our pride are already walking in disunity. Some of our our fickleness and our emotional immaturity already causes us to to walk in disunity. So we come to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, famous story that we understand. But let me back up a little bit and give you some context. Because in Genesis chapter 9, we remember there's this guy named Noah who spent over 100 years building a big that we call the ark. For 40 days, it rains in the daytime and the night, and God floods the whole earth, killing all of civilization except for those who are in the boat. So when we come to Genesis chapter 9, God gives instructions to Noah about replenishing the earth, and he tells them that I want you to scatter across the earth and repopulate the earth. But in Genesis chapter 10, there's this guy who rises up, and we don't know too much about him, but the scriptures name him as Nimrod. His name is Nimrod. Nimrod, in Genesis chapter 10, I think it's around verse 8, I love the phraseology. The Bible says he became mighty on the earth. It's not talking about a strength or power. It's talking about an influence, that he became incredibly influential. And this is how we get to the Tower of Babel, because God's instruction was to Noah, I want you to repopulate and spread across the earth. But what Nimrod does is that he takes a group of people, those who are left over on the earth, and he starts moving them with the purpose of building a tower. It was his idea to build Babel, to build a tower to reach the heavens. Now, let me clarify something. They were not trying to reach the literal heavens. They were not trying to build something into the clouds, but they were trying to build something high because Nimrod and a bunch of other folks were very much into astrology for all you Aquarius and Cancer people. I don't need to be Aquarius or Cancer. The cross, that's enough sign for me. And for those of you who are in that demonic foolishness, it's demonic and you might make excuses. I don't, I've heard people say, well, I don't study it. I don't, you shouldn't even give any lick of faith towards it. I need at least two amen so I know I'm talking to the right church. We have gotten caught up in the same stuff. We don't need to look at the stars to find out our destiny. We know the one who made them. Y'all are not giving me the energy that I need tonight. I'm going to be mad in a second. <laughs> and we get, and so in Genesis chapter 9, they, they want to kind of, it's humanism. It's a picture of humanism. They want to become their own God. 
We want to look at the stars and look at the, and so when they talk about building a tower to heaven, that's what they are building. I don't know what they call them on the earth, but it's that thing that we have like NASA has where they keep the big microscope and to look at the stars. It would be a version of that. Hmm. And so in Genesis chapter nine or 10 rather, that's what's happening. And the Bible says that they are beginning to journey together until they get to this place that would later be called Babel. And there's a plateau. Now, here's the crazy part. Unity is not necessarily relegated to only Christianity. Unity, there is a version of unity that happens in a secular world. And unity works whether you're saved or not saved. Unity works whether you love Jesus or you don't love Jesus. And we're going to see that in a moment because God even looks back and goes, they're so united that there's nothing I can stop them from, so I better stop this now. But there is a unity that we're going after that the world doesn't know about that we'll talk about soon. It's called the unity of the spirit. This is different than a secular unity. This unity is way more intense because the unity that the world offers is a unity that is only um, about tolerating each other. But the unity of the spirit requires us to actually love each other. See, the world unites around certain like things, belief systems or, or whatever. Our unity is empowered by love. It's, it's not the same unity. We're talking about a different unity. Nonetheless, the cooperation of their unity causes them to, to, to build the Tower of Babel so that they can reach the heavens and not need God. There are three things between Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9 that I want to point out, which will be the foundation of my entire message that I noticed that I thought, man, that's how you become disunified. Write these down. Number one, speak differently. Number two, don't journey with each other. And number three, don't have a common purpose. That's the keys. Those are the keys to disunity. Let me give them to you one more time. Have different language. Don't journey together. And don't have a common purpose. If you keep that as your core value, guess what, baby girl? You ain't going to need nobody. And I promise you, you will walk in disunity. How do I know that? Let's look at Genesis chapter 11. Are y'all still with me? Yes. Look at Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now the whole earth had how many languages? Come on, talk to me. How many languages? One language. That means that they all understood each other. Maybe some of the disunity that we're, 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 we've allowed the enemy to seep into our church is because we refuse to try to understand each other. Let's keep going. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land. Stop for a moment. Who are you doing life with? No, no, no. I'm not talking about just on Sundays. I, I mean, who are you journeying with? Because here's the next key to disunity. Just do life by yourself. Make sure that you're all by yourself on your journey. Or make sure that you're willing to do it all by yourself. Because some of us are doing journeys with other people, but they have a very short length on what they can do before we cut them off. Because our cutoff game is strong. Prayer life, not so strong. But our cutoff game. <laughs> we don't fast. But our cutoff game is strong. Don't tithe, don't serve, don't give, show up too late to church, leave early. But our cutoff game is strong. And that's why we don't have any lasting relationships. Turnover every three years. New boyfriend every six months. New wife, every, okay. If you ever want to walk in disunity, decide in your heart that you're not going to journey with anybody. 
Do you know how many churches I know that are like that? We don't need anybody. We got all the goods. We got our children's pastor. We, got, we don't need to do anything. I was in Argentina preaching for a, a meeting, and Argentina experienced a great revival years ago. And the pastor there started telling me about what it was like in the revival. He said incredible unity and generosity started spreading across the city. He said, because they were one of the biggest churches in, in uh, Buenos Aires where we were in Argentina. And he said to me, as, and thousands of people, he said, we got to a place where God started moving in our church, healing, power, signs and wonders. We started having a lot of money and became influential. We needed to hire new pastors, but we made a commitment that we will not hire a new pastor until we hire a new one for the church down the street. Every time we hired a new staff member, we made sure to hire one for another church down the street because we're not gonna do this journey by ourselves. Not even as a church, we can. See, that's the difference. God's not called us to be dependent. And he's not called us to be in independent. He's called us to be interdependent. What is interdependence? Here's my thought process around it. I could do this alone, but I choose not to. It goes slower, it's softer, and I hate it sometimes. But going together will cause you to go farther. Let's keep reading. This is good. Verse three, then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and take them thoroughly, and nobody asked for a vote. Try that one more time, because you didn't see that part in the scripture. Come, let us make brick, and bake them thoroughly, and nobody complained about how long it would take. This might hurt a few feelings, so I'm gonna try to say this gently. Have you humbly submitted your will to building something with other people that is bigger than you and may not benefit you. Yeah, I'll try this side. Maybe I'll get at least one amen. Um, have you committed to a vision that is bigger than you that might not directly benefit you? The problem with some of our churches and why we don't walk in unity is because we're not willing to commit to a vision together. Even as a church, one of the things I've been, and can I be honest with you? To, you know, I'm going to be honest anyway, your permission or not. But one of the things that has concerned me even about our house, our church here, is I wonder if we're really united. I know we like each other, even love each other in some instances. <laughs> But, but I wonder if we're actually biblically united. And I wonder if collide is actually supposed to be a lot farther, but we haven't gotten there because God's waiting for us to get together. Oh yeah, I'm gonna make this about the church, but it's gonna be about our church too. Because I've been getting frustrated in the spirit lately, y'all. And, and it's not a carnal frustration. Some of us are uh, uncomfortable with anger or frustration. It's a good emotion. It's a healthy one. But it's a God-like frustration where I feel... We're supposed to be farther, but God is not going to, as a church, not going to let us go farther until we get together, until we learn how to talk to each other, until we learn how to reconcile. Some of us still don't know how to hang out with people that we don't like yet. Mature, grow up. Oh, I don't hang out with people I don't like. You're a Christian, you're supposed to, and you're supposed to grow in liking them. I got a little bit more for you. All right, I found my amen sections. I got them. We're warming up. You still with me, Sarah? Barely. I got you. 
Let's break this down. I want to talk about speaking the same language. Can I ask you, what are you talking about? Let me first start off by saying I've seen disunity happen because what you call venting, the scripture calls gossip. <laughs> Should I say it again, Gina? What you call sharing, the scriptures call gossip. Uh, leave sharing with your pastor, with your therapist, and with the Lord. Because some of you, what you call accountability part, they're just messy. Now, I get it if you need to vent, because I, I do this with Pastor Andrew, and I'm like, bro, I don't know how to deal with this situation. I'm frustrated. And he adds counsel and wisdom. Some of you don't want counsel and wisdom. You want somebody to be on your side and tell you you have the right to be offended. Can, look at me real quick. This is my good eye right here. You never have the right to be offended, ever. You will get offended. You don't have the right to hold on to it. And you, ooh, this is good. Preach to me, Holy Spirit. You cannot forgive something you feel entitled to hold on to. You cannot forgive an offense that you feel entitled to have. I'm going to say it one more time because that's tweetable. You cannot forgive an offense that you feel entitled to have. And here's what the world will say. You are entitled to hold on to that offense. And I want to be, make it clear. The scriptures give no grounds for any offense to go unforgiven. One of the hardest seasons that I walked through in terms of forgiveness was to have to forgive the family member that molested me for two years of my childhood. And I say this humbly and I say this gently because this was work. And there are still times where it rises up and I have to work on forgiveness again. The world will say, why would you forgive them? And the scriptures would point to the cross that for those who have been forgiven much, we forgive much. So what are you holding on to that you feel like you have the right to? Do you know how many pastors I've been hurt by? I don't have the right to hold offense towards pastors. One of the things that concerns me is that we make Instagram pages. Offense! And we think we're doing God's work. <laughs> I knew this wasn't going to be an easy message. Here's why I'm preaching on unity and unity of the spirit. Because God can come, but if we're not unified, it won't sustain. Everybody that's seen a fire knows that if you take the fire and you separate the wood pieces, guess what? That fire is not going to keep going. So I'm trying to get us to the place where we come together so that we can see God sustain the fire that he's been bringing to our house. So what are you talking about? Are you talking about God, the kingdom, or people? Not only that, let's take it on a larger scale. Are you willing to change your language for the sake of community? One of the sad realities of, of missionary work, and luckily, or by God's grace, we've gotten better as a community, as a Christian community. But for years, uh, folks would go to uh, the Philippines or to Mexico or wherever, and they would try to do ministry there like they did in America. And so they would try to force them into our culture. Now, that's changed a lot, and people have had to learn how to minister to people where they are. But I love it because Paul says stuff like this. I'm going to be all things to all men so that I can win everybody. Here's what we say in America, I ain't changing for nobody. <laughs> I'ma just be me. You is sinful, you is evil. <laughs> I sound like the hell. You is smart, you is... <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> the, the, it's, it's like, no, we don't get, we only get to be us in Christ. This is so good. Uh, 
Some of you have come to Collide and you've had to learn a new language. A language that doesn't allow you to hide. A language of authenticity and vulnerability. And not everybody's learning it, some people leave. A language of forgiveness. Being a part of community, uniting, might mean having to learn a different language. When I was doing ministry in the Tenderloin, uh, we had about five kids in our children's ministry on Saturday morning, and we had eight volunteers. And I was like, this sucks. We have more volunteers than actual kids. Now, those of you know, you know I can speak Spanish or kind of speak Spanish. I call on Liz and, and, and Jay Castro to help me out. Um, but back then, I was more proficient at Spanish, and so I had a really cool idea. We came up with it together. Why don't, because we had a lot of Spanish-speaking parents who couldn't help their kids with their homework. And so we started going around and making deals with the parents to say, hey, if we come in and teach your kids and, and work with them, um, is it okay that they come to our children's ministry? Everybody signed up, right? And so our children's ministry grew from like five to 80 to, I think it got to 250 or something like that. And all because of this program mostly. Ministry opened because we submitted our language to a language that wasn't ours. We increased ministry kingdom work because we didn't go in speaking English. We went in speaking Spanish. Broken Spanish, but Spanish. And sometimes language is broken. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we don't understand it. But can I ask you an honest question, rhetorical, so answer it in your heart. Are you striving to understand the language? Are you striving to understand the language other people are saying to you? So I've talked about the language, submitting it, a language in terms of, 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 of the church and the local church and coming under vision and talking the same kind of language. But I want to talk about language one to another. Because if we're going to talk about unity, a lot of it has to do with this thing right here. The whole book of James written about this thing right here, that if you can control this, you can control your entire life is what it says. But this is so out of control. Can I raise my hand on this one? Because I'm going to say, ouch. If we're going to be united, we're going to have to learn how to speak a language where we understand each other. Come here, let's make this real tangible and practical. We're going to have to stop reading tone into text messages. And we're going to have to learn how to assume the best. (sighs) Woo! Let's do some work. Um... We're going to have to learn how to stop making up narratives and assuming people's motives. Well, what did they mean when they said that? Because we've been hurt so much that we walk around expecting to be hurt. And here's the thing. You're going to get everything you expect. I want to live in such a way where I am surprised by hurt. I'm not there yet. God knows I'm not there yet. I'm still looking for it at times. But I want to get to a place where I'm so not looking to be hurt that when it happens, it's whoa, oh, that's weird. But some of us are bent on people hurting our feelings. Can I tell you the truth? I mean, this is me being petty. Some of y'all are hurting your own feelings. It's, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in some situations with people just trying to reconcile them and, and bring them together. And I, let, me, let me use my own story. Pastor Andrew, he's, uh, or baby Holy Spirit, whichever one you want to call him, um, we, we were in a, uh, I was having a text message with someone and I was just getting frustrated. And when I get frustrated, my text messages get long. <laughs> Gina said, yep. If I'm happy, they're short little messages. But man, if I write you a novel, you better breathe, breathe deep, right? And so I'm writing a novel. And here's the crazy part. Pastor Andrew hears about the conflict. 
And then in our staff meeting, because we go over, we, he goes, um, can we talk about something? And whenever he says, oh, God. <sighs> like me, I'm different. I'm just like, hey, you did this, whatever. I know when he's like easing up, I'm like, oh, I'm about to get it, right? He goes, I was reading that text, man. And I just think y'all missed each other. I go, what do you mean? We went over the text. He goes, this person said this, but you heard this. This person said this, but you heard this. And I had to admit that I was already positioned to be offended by the person when we were texting. And so everything I heard was through a filter of pain. Oh, I'm telling my own testimony. Was through a filter of pain and through a filter of hurt. Can I tell you something? Healed people hear differently. Healed people hear differently. And when you're broken, when you're offended with pastors, everything pastors say, even if it's supposed to be kind. What do you mean by that? If you're offended with white people, it don't matter what white people do. Mm-hmm, I knew Trump supporter. Oh yeah, we're dealing with real life tonight because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it in me. I'm sick of being offended at people. I'm tired. I got no more grace to be offended at people. I, I want to do my best to beat this spirit and beat this body into submission to the will and the word of God. And it's hard, y'all. It's hard to prefer your brother. It is hard to assume the best when you've been hurt your whole life. I get it. Here's what the scriptures say. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, have kind affection one for another with brotherly, brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. When it talks about preferring one another, it's not saying that your brother or sister has more value than you or is better than you. He's just saying what Michelle Obama told us. When they go high, let's go low. Let, let's, let's take the low ground and prefer them. There's some battles I just, sis, you get to win that one. Go for it. <laughs> Bro, you get to have that one. Go for it. Some of y'all are tired because you're wasting your energy fighting battles that you're called to leave at the cross. Everybody take a deep breath in with me. I feel like, okay, good, good. All right. If you're a visitor, this is us. I ain't apologizing. Can I ask you a question? And then I'll move on to the next point because I can tell you're tired of this one. But I want to ask you a question. Is God allowed to change the way you speak even if it's not natural to you? Hmm. Is God allowed to change the way that you speak, even if it's not natural to you? It is so hard to be tender for me. When I meet with my little Michelle Kwan, I got to prepare for 24 hours. Del, calm down, because she's a care bear. She's a care bear. And she can handle my intensity, but I bring myself down, filter myself without changing myself so I can prefer my sister. I want her to be comfortable when she's with me. Andrew and our, at times, it's like, I have to catch myself because if I go too fast or I go too hard, just let me slow it down. Let me pace myself. It's not the pace I want to go to, but I want to prefer my brother. Yeah. I got frustrated one time because in Western Christianity, uh, we're very soft. And so we lean on the tender side, which there's nothing wrong with that. But there's another side, an aggressive side that we don't too much appreciate. So in the Western church, we don't like anger. We don't like aggression, intensity. That's kind of, kind of hard. And so I was having a conversation because um, they were beaten up on the the, the hard people like me, the intense people, we were just blunt, black and white, and we kind of go for it. Which, by the way, I fit so much better in the world in that area. 
because the world hadn't learned to be offended by everything. <laughs> I'm just looking for where my amens were. Um, and, uh, and we were having this conversation. They were like, yeah, you, you people who are rough around the edge, you just need to tenderize and soften up. And I was like, amen. But then they kept going. It's like, no, you just need to watch how you talk to people and tenderoni and soften up. And just like, okay, okay. 20 minutes in, I'm like, okay, pick me. <laughs> my turn. I agree with you. And it is hard to do it. It's hard to go slow. It's hard to go soft. It's hard to be tender for me. But some of you tender people need to prefer your thicker skin brothers and start toughening up too. Oh, come here. Y'all didn't like this point. Y'all were with me until this part. Yeah, because we make people with my personality type bad guys. They just rub people the wrong way. Except for God picked Peter. Cussing Peter. Cutting off ears Peter. And he loved him. And some of you will not do community with people who are loud. This sounds so immature, but I pastor you. I know it. You're not going to do life in community with people who are aggressive because it triggers you. Get a therapist and get healed so that you can love people who are different than you. I've been waiting a year and a half to get that off my chest. All right. I, <laughs> For all those who are in our class today, you're like, you've been intense all day. I know. I woke up on the lap of Jesus, tired of, I'm tired of foolishness. I, I'm, I'm tired of us not taking the kingdom seriously and just doing church. We didn't start this business a year and a half ago to do what we didn't like doing uh, before we started this church. We started this so that we could work on us, so that we can build the kingdom. Oh, point number two. This unit thing requires us to speak the same language. But not only that, it requires us to journey together. So I'm going to ask you a question. Who are you doing life with? And not just on the weekends and coffee dates. Who knows you? Outside of your spouse. Because sometimes your spouse is the one who gets on your nerves and you need another place to vent and be accountable to. Don't, don't, don't say anything, spouses. Just look straight ahead. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but, but hear me out. Hear me out. Who are you really doing life with? And let me take it a little bit farther. Do they all have your same skin color? Do they all have your educational background? Your church background? Because some of us want easy relationships because we don't want to be challenged. That's why everybody, I, it's, it's so funny. I love going to birthday parties because you see it. You come to my birthday party, it looks like the UN. It's like, well, who the heck, what the heck is going on? How do you get Samoans and Chinese people in the same room? I don't know, right? But it's so funny because I'll go to a birthday party and you see all the people that you're closest with and it weirds me out, like children of the corn weird, to see everybody of the same color, same skin, same hair. It's just like, ooh, you're not loving to the level that Christ has called us to love. <laughs> if, I'm going to just throw this in for free. Just in this journey of life when it comes to offense, when's the last time you apologized? Who are you doing life with? See, we're talking about more than just spending time with each other. Are you intimately getting to intertwine your life with another person's life? Is there, this is a good question to write down. Is there someone in your life who can actually hurt you? <laughs> do, you do you give others permission to hurt you? Oh, I'm not gonna let him in that close. Yeah, that's why we struggle with unity. 
Are you getting to know people and are you allowing others to get to know who you are? Because you, watch this, you cannot tell me that you love people and you don't know people because you can't love what you don't know. And as a matter of fact, you wouldn't be offended with as many people as you're offended with if you would start getting to know them. A lot of the times the people we don't like, it's because we don't know their story. There are folks, man, I'm, I'm bent on not liking. I'm just like, I'm not going, I can't stand you. Don't like the way you dress. Your breath stinks. I don't like the way you look. And then the Holy Spirit's like, take him out to coffee. No, in Jesus name. And then I finally get around to obeying God. They'd be getting mad, y'all, because at the end of the meeting, I'd be like, I like you. I don't even want to like you, but I like you. Because as you get to know people, if you're a believer who's trying to find, be right before the Lord, your heart ought to soften. Here's where it boils down to, and this is what will keep you away from offense. When you start realizing that your other people's behavior towards you doesn't have anything to do with you, has everything to do with them. When people go off, I'm just like, ooh, we had a young lady come to our church, still part of our family, and every time she wanted to express something, she was always, like, really angry about it. And so, like, at first, I got kind of offended. Like, stop talking to me like that. Like, just chill out. It's like I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> and then finally, I, I started remembering her story. It's like, oh, yeah, she's been in relationships and family where she's never been heard. Like, I know that about her story. So I see, she feels like this is the only way. So, okay, I stopped and I pulled her to the side. I said, hey, I just want you to know as a man, as your pastor, I'm gonna do my best to try to hear you. And she just started, she's like, (laughs) started crying because I was able to love her because I know her. Is there somebody you don't like? Here's my challenge. Take them out to coffee this week. (laughs) Some of y'all are gonna get texts tonight. Like, you wanna go to (laughs) coffee? (laughs) <laughs> do, you, do you want to go to coffee? <laughs> I'm about to get heck of text tomorrow. <laughs> Caffeinated. <laughs> if I'm wired next Sunday, it's because a lot of people want to talk to me. <laughs> Let's move to this last point. Not only did they have the same language, not only were they journeying together, but they had a unified purpose. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. This is, the scripture is growing on me, Matt. I'm starting to love this more and more as we build this church. Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the wall, and Nehemiah writes this in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together until the half thereof, for the people, listen, the people had a mind to work. Are you walking on purpose, a purpose that's bigger than yours, a kingdom purpose? Do you have a mind to build the kingdom of God? Here's why we have disunity in the church. It's because everybody's thinking about their own kingdom and not his. And if building his kingdom inconveniences our kingdom, amen, Pastor Dale. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the support. Um, I, I wonder, are we building something big? Can I just ask you, as you sit and you think about this, what are you doing in your life today? Where are you serving where you don't directly benefit and it builds the kingdom? We can't even get you to usher. We can't even get you to serve. And, and I don't have a problem if you're busy building the kingdom, but can I point to any area in your life and see, oh, this is an area where you're building the kingdom. That's why you don't have time over here. I get it. But that's not true for many of us. 
Everybody point at Pastor Dell. Point at me. Come on. Say, you're right. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Got to teach you how to say amen. I love this. Should I pretend like this is mine? Pastor Andrew just texted me this because we do that. He said, oh, some people needed to learn to be a lone wolf to survive. And now, since it got them this far, they keep on doing it. But it was like a crutch to get you through. Walking on two legs now hurts and feels wrong. Prefer to go back to the crutch and you feel strong living that way. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's going, maybe you've gotten to the place because the environment you grew up in, you had to be hyper-independent. You had to do things on your own. I grew up that way. I didn't have that support system. I get that. And so now learning how to be interdependent feels wrong because your whole life, your hyper-independence, which represents the crutches, you've been using those and that's what feels right. Now God's saying my original intent for you was you to use your legs, but it feels weird. It hurts. This is wrong. It's painful. I got to keep saying sorry. I have to keep telling people when I'm hurt so that they know and we can have intimate relationships. This is weird to do life with each other, but it's right. It's hard, but it's right. It hurts, but it's right. And you got to stay committed to it because here's the thing about God. He's a great teacher. And if you don't pass it at this church, guess what? You don't have to pass it at the next church. <laughs> it's retake central until you pass it. That's such a good word, Pastor Andrew. Here's the thing, you can be different and be unified. We're not talking about uniformity. That's why one of the goals in the hearts of my church is as we grow and we get more money, I wanna make sure that we hire a white woman. I told Pastor Andrew about that. I was like, we need a white woman on staff. because we, All we got is Connie. My favorite white woman in our church. You'll get that on the way home. <laughs> uh, because I don't, and, and here's the deal. They're going to be different than me. The way that I like to have church and the way that Pastor Andrew likes to have church is completely different. But that creates a beautiful unity. We don't need to be all the same. Some of us, I, one of the things I used to, uh, I, I grew up in a black church. And so one of the things I, I did after I left was that I went to a church that was completely white. No Hammond B3 organ. They didn't have pianos. They had throw rugs and guitar. And I thought, what in the hippie central is going on? But here's the beauty. I learned a different form of the spirit of God there that I wouldn't have learned if I had stayed in my own culture. So when I talk about unity, I'm talking about getting rubbed the wrong way. Because some of you don't know how wrong you are because you've always been right. Everything around you tells you that you're right. And then you get around other people and you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's my cultural baggage. And I need to drop that for the sake of unity. Is this making sense? You can be different and still be unified, but this will require big word. Write this down. Sanctification. Biblical unity is impossible without the Spirit's leading. Biblical unity is impossible without the Spirit's leading. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, because I want to talk to you about the unity that the Bible talks of. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and godliness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, not tolerating each other, but bearing each other in love, celebrating each other. 
and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, and as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Here's what he's saying, that this unity thing is not about just nicey-nice, see you on Sunday, hey, bro. It's about learning how to love each other well so that you start intertwining. So when people come to collide, it doesn't look like a bunch of members of, of a church. It just looks like the church. They're speaking the same language. They're, they have the same DNA and culture, which is a biblical one, a kingdom-minded one. So that's the unity we're talking about. I want to give an analogy, and then I'll wrap it up. Give me 10 more minutes, and we'll be done. I want to talk about Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. Look back at Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. That was our theme scripture. And Anthony, thank you for loving me enough. Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. Real simple phrase, or verse. It says this. Then they said to one another, these are the people at the Tower of Babel. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had bricks for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I'll wait for you to get over there real quick. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are built are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are living stones, not bricks. You are living stones, not bricks. I'm, a, I'm nosy, Kelly. I'm, I know you don't know that, but I'm nosy. Um, so when I come to the scripture, I got questions. Something stood out to me, and I just started asking questions about it. And it was Genesis 11, verse 3. Just there it says that they didn't use stones to build the Tower of Babel, that they used brick. And so in my head, I remember brick, slavery, Hebrew, all this. And so I started, I wonder if there's some significance there. So I started Googling. And then all I found was a commentary that said they were using brick to build the Tower of Babel, but God always used stone whenever he was going to build something. No revelation there or anything. So I said, okay, there's got to be something there. And then God reminded me of that scripture we just read, that we're living stones. And stuff starts coming. So I start researching stones and all that stuff. Do you know that when they got ready to build the temple, God gave them specific instructions on how to cut the stones, how to build them? Now, I've been to Israel, and if you read the scripture, you can see it. These are not pebble stones. These are humongous stones large stones. God gives the children of Israel instructions and tells them, I want you about a mile away from where you're going to build the temple to create a little space where you're going to chisel all the stone. And he gives them the measurements on how to build it, right? And so uh, there's perfect precision. It had to be perfect. And the reason why God told them to go a mile away to build it was because I don't want to, this is the Lord. He basically said, I don't want to hear the sound of construction around my holy site. So when you bring them, just make sure you fit them. Now, let's jump back to Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. When they were building, they used brick. And if you know anything about the brick in this time, it was very brittle. It broke apart. And they were using this asphalt, this sticky substance to bring it together. And they were building it. And, and here's the revelation. No matter how united the world will get, it'll only be bricks. 
Their version of unity will always be brittle. So even if the Republicans and Democrats do get together, it won't last long. Because true unity, and I believe this undoubtedly as a conviction, true unity can only be empowered by the Holy Spirit, lasting unity. That's what I, you can argue with me all the way, and I'm going to sit on that, I'm going to die on this hill. True unity can only be empowered and motivated by the Spirit of the Lord. And everything that the enemy does, everything that the world does to try to unite and build will always be brittle. It will always fall apart. But let's take it a little bit farther in the analogy. I was researching this, and I realized that the precision of the stones had to be so perfect because when they would bring the stone back to the building site, the site or the, the, the building needed no asphalt, no mortar, nothing to bring them together because, and the scripture says this, that you and I are jointly fitted together. He's using phrases that children of Israel would have already understood because they understood how the temple had been built, that these living stones, these, excuse me, they weren't living stones, but those dead stones where they chiseled about a mile away were so perfect that when they came together to build up the temple, they didn't need anything to stick together. They just perfectly fit one on top of each other, side by side. They were so perfect that it said that not even the blade of a knife could get in between the stones. Let's talk a little while about sanctification. True unity. Give me a second. (laughs) True unity only comes by the Spirit of God. And that unity is only possible if we submit to sanctification. Because sometimes Anthony's going to say something to me where I want to hold on to offense. But the process of sanctification compels me to lay that offense before the cross so that I can be jointly fitted with him. And here's the revelation. Just like the children of Israel had to step away from the building site that was the temple so that they can go and chisel the stones, so you and I must step away from community to spend time with the Lord so that the Holy Spirit can chisel every aspect inside of who we are so that when we pledge ourselves to community, we are not broken, we are not messed up to the point where we don't perfectly fit. We're weird, but we fit. We talk different, but we fit. We don't like each other sometimes. But we fit. We get mad at each other sometimes, but we perfectly fit. Because even though we have to do this journey together, we are making sure that we continue to go a mile away where the Holy Spirit can chisel. Some of you need to go on a retreat by yourself and just let God deal with you. And, And some of you don't go there because you don't like silence. You are afraid of what God might say. I encourage you. Pastor Andrew is amazing at doing these silent retreats, and I don't say that by my personal experience, but by the fruit that I've seen it bear in other people's lives. I would encourage you to talk to him about what that looks like. But even more than that, what's your prayer life look like? Is it just, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, give me? Or is it, Lord, make me more like you? Do you come honestly before the Lord and say, God, this is really hard and you see me trying, but unless you come and empower me to do this, I'm going to cuss him out. I don't want to cuss him out, Lord. Not really. Not in my spirit. My flesh wants to because I don't like being treated like this. But Spirit of God, would you chisel? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God begins to humble you so that you perfectly fit. What if they are not the problem? Just what if? Just maybe they are, but let's just ask. Hypothetically, what if 
God's not trying to change them. What if he's actually trying to increase you? And here's the, I got bad news for you, John. Here's the bad news. Here's what happens when you, when you graduate, you go back to school. (laughs) In the kingdom, we're always learning and it's annoying (laughs) because I'd like to take a break sometimes. I'd like to be on vacation and just tell everybody what I think. Just, you know, Lord, I'm going to just take a vacation from the spirit and just cuss them smooth out. I got this one, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Don't look at me in that tone of the voice. I know I'm not the only one. Just, Lord, I'm going to repent about this one tonight, but they're going to know how I feel in Jesus' name. And then you go away, and the Holy Spirit starts going, yep, that's from your childhood, your trauma, and you felt like you had to defend yourself because no one was there for you. But here, I'm going to heal you. Now go jointly fit. I'm going to talk to those who are at home and who are watching this online because this ain't true of us here because we're actually here. Some of y'all stopped going to church because instead of allowing the spirit to chisel you, you just said, I'm going to step away. But here's what the spirit of God wants to do. All that church hurt. Just let me chisel it. Let me heal it. I know that pastor hurt you, but come on, I need to, because if, if I don't heal it, you're going to be at Collide, great church, good leadership, but you're not going to ever jointly fit because you won't let me chisel you. And here's what we do. We blame it on the pastor. We blame it on the leadership. We blame it on our brothers and sisters. We blame it on everybody except for taking what God wants to do in our heart and allowing him to chisel us so that we perfectly fit into community. I mean this on every level. This is true of our church here. But for those pastors and leaders who are watching, because I know you want pastors and leaders who are watching, maybe there's some things that God needs to chisel about your local church so that it fits in the community of the local church, the body of Christ. Worship team, help me out. I don't want earthly unity. I don't want organizational unity. I want us to be so united as a body that when our brothers and sisters are hurting, we just know it. We just feel it. And I see that on some level in our house, but I want to see it increase. But can I ask you, look at me for a second. Can I ask you just three questions? Are you willing to change your language for unity? Whatever that means. Are you willing to journey and do life with some people? And are you willing to sign up for a purpose that is kingdom-minded and may not directly benefit you, but will benefit the kingdom? Stand with me. I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, how do I end this? And this is all the Lord said. He said, invite them into repentance. That's it. That's all I got. I don't know who this word is for, whether online, whether those of you who are here. I know it's for me, Gina. Because <laughs> there are some people in my life I've been giving myself permission to stay mad at. But I'm saying, Lord, please change my heart. 
I find it interesting that the scripture lets us know that your mouth is the overflow of the heart. It says out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you say, Pastor Dell, this feels so impossible. How are we going to get here? I got you. On the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord. And there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And tongues like fire came upon them and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance and each of them were able to hear the gospel in their own native tongue. See, in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, one day they're talking to each other just like we're talking to each other right now, Pastor Andrew, and then God confused their language and and made them disunified and all of a sudden the brother said, hey, can you pass me the hammer? And the other brother was like, I don't understand what the heck you're talking about. Because God had changed their language. But in, in Acts chapter 2, they all had a bunch of different languages. But the Spirit came and, you, and united their language. And the Bible says they started journeying together because they went out the house. They didn't stay there. Because this unity thing, if we get it right in here, I promise you we can take it out and change the world out there. So they started journeying together and all of a sudden folks started hearing the gospel and the church started being built because they now had a common purpose. So what was lost in Genesis 11 is now regained in Acts chapter 2. Why or how? By the moving of the Spirit. So this message was put on my heart because for the last two Sundays I've been preaching, the Spirit of God has been doing dramatic things, but I am nervous that he will not continue where there's not a place of unity. The fire will not sustain. So I'm going to pray a prayer. Matt's going to sing one more song. You who are online, we're going to let it linger for a little bit. But if you need to come and make repentance before the Lord, because there are areas where you've not surrendered for the sake of unity, I want you to deal with it. And and here's what I want to ask, that you not deal with it in your seat. Well, why do I have to come to the altar? Sometimes it's just a step of faith. And part of it is so that we can see we're not the only ones struggling in this area. We're all struggling to stay in unity. So I'm going to pray a prayer after that. Matt's going to lead us in one more song with the worship team so you'd be ready to start right away. And after I pray, if this message is for you, there's an area where you need to lay down some stuff so that you can be in unity, whatever it is. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. Nobody's going to pray for you. Just spend time with the Lord. God, I thank you for this house and what you're doing, that you refuse to let us be normal. You refuse to let us walk in the flesh or to be carnal, God. You keep speaking to us to become more like you. And so, Spirit of God, we invite you to come now. Come on, pray with me for a second. We invite you to come now, even into this physical space. And for those who are watching online, into their physical space, that Spirit of God, your Spirit would make this easy to come into repentance. God, if there are areas of offense and disunity that we have walked in, I am praying for healing and wholeness and that you will bring us out of that. And I pray, God, give us a spirit of unity, not just in this church, but in the body of Christ around the world. Unite us again in Jesus' name.